0: Hello and welcome. This is Winning Tonic. I'm your host, Andrew Thomas, and this is episode 22. Ask me anything. So, this one is. I put a post in the Blue Oak Facebook group the other day, just saying, Ask me anything. It's a property group, for those of you who don't know, and just invited the members of the group to ask me any questions about anything. (laughs) And. Yeah, it's one of those. you just like it's either gonna work or it was gonna fall flat on my face. Luckily, my beautiful band of oakenites did not disappoint, and they fired a load of questions into me. We had a good laugh in the post as well. So I've got a bunch of questions here, all property-led. Some not so much, but nonetheless, I'm gonna answer them. I'm gonna tackle them as best I can. Um, I'm gonna get into it. So that's today's episode. So it's good. It's led by you, the people, my listeners, my loyal followers. And it's going to be a good episode. There's some good questions in here, some good meaty property questions, and I'm going to do my best to tuck into them. Um, I've, I've got the questions, I've read the questions, I've not prepared any notes. Mm. I'm just going to do it as I always do, which is off the cuff, very natural, and hopefully I will uh, answer everyone's questions. So that's it. This is Winning Tonic, episode 22. Let's get into it. hello 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 one and all how are we doing so this is winning tonic i am your host andrew thomas and this is episode 22 as we said and um, so for the people watching on youtube i'm also recording this for my podcast and i thought I'd do it for my youtube channel as well be a good little uh, episode good little video so this episode whatever we want to call it, depending on what medium you are watching on, is born out of me doing a post in my Blue Oak Facebook group. Don't know what it was, just the other day, really. And I basically just said, ask me anything. So it's one of those posts that you put out and you think, shit, I'm going to get a load of tumbleweeds here. But luckily, my loyal bunch of Oak Knights did not disappoint and they came back with some big meaty questions they really put me to the test i was yeah i did say like it's like come on test me and to be fair they've not disappointed they have sent in some tests so and we had a lot of laughs we had a lot of laughs on the thread some some not so serious non-related property questions came in as well um but all in all it should be a good little episode i like it when it's led by you know you the listeners the watchers the audience so yeah it's good it's not just me rabbiting on about a topic which might not be relevant this is actually something that people have requested so without further ado let's get into it so question numero uno comes from a young man who I am a big fan of in the group called Graham Eden Graham (laughs) Graham's me and Graeme have got a very special relationship, and um, every time he he comments on one of my posts, I just crease laughing, and he knows why. It's because <laughs> it's because <laughs> Gray's a scouser. He might he might say he's a flaky scouser, I don't know, but he's a bit like he's like me. He's over from that neck of the woods anyway, and um, you know he's like he's like me. But his, his emoji, when he puts his emoji, arms and hands. So a bit of a tan, a bit of a tanned emoji arm. I was like, don't know where that's come from, cheers. I don't know if you've been on a bed there or what, but been on the Lecky beach. But say no more about it. So every time, every time he comments, I honestly, I'm like this, creasing. But anyway, but he's actually a very good, he's a fucking, he's a grafter. He works hard. I've seen some of the stuff he's done. He, he walks, you know, he walks his talk and you know since he gets stuck in on his projects and he's um, he's one of the good guys I like great so this is his question assisted sales I'm gonna read it out so assisted sales the good the bad and the bloody ugly the start points, processes documents utilized timelines watch out stacking the deal minimum maximum financial requirements and target returns the whole shebang and um, so, yeah, great question. I mean, that's a meaty one. That's a episode in itself. I mean, I've done a lot of episodes on, you know, assisted sales and webinars and lives and stuff like that, but I'll cover it over. So, yeah, the start point really for uh, for me for an assisted sale is an assisted sale is generally a flip because the clues in the title, it's a, it's a sale. So, you're looking at something. If you're going into something, looking at it at a, as a potential, you know, buy refurb flip then you just need to ask the question you need to be able to spot are the margins there um, to be able to do the flip if there are post the question to the vendor you know would you consider this sometimes it doesn't work as a flip for whatever reason let's say you've got to borrow you know the capital to buy the thing and then you've got the cost of borrowing the money sometimes that can eat into you know the a chunk of the you know the profits But well, assisted sale there is no capital outlay now you may have to put other things in place to make the deal work i.e give the vendor a slightly higher price or retain them in the uplift of the property but basically if it's looking like it's a refurb or flip you need to be able to ask the question to the vendor more importantly you need to you need to understand how to ask the question, which is the more important thing. And it's, it's, it's not impossible for me to tell you how to do that. It's each each dealer's individual, and you've just gotta know, you've just gotta look at each deal. And once you do a few of them, you'll know if it's, an, it's, a, it's a potential assisted sale. It's based on the numbers. It's also based on the person that you're dealing with, the vendor, landlord, whoever you're dealing with. And it's also led by some other factors. Ideally to do an assisted sale, because you're not buying it, the, ideally the, the vendor, homeowner, can't really be living in the property. I have on occasion over the years done them when they're living in a property, but it's been a very, very light cosmetic research, re, refurb. You know, if you're going big on rip out, rewires and stuff, you need them out. So either they're not living there, or they've got somewhere else they can move to while you do it, or you're willing to pay for them to move to alternative accommodation. So, just spe- it just depends. Each deals individually have to look at each each deal on its own individual basis. So, that's the first part. Um, the good is, number one, there's no capital outlay. Now, that's good for you because there's no capital outlay. And you haven't got to come up with the actual purchase cost of property. Number two, there's no registered sale. So, if you're buying it, you know, if you agree 100,000 pounds with the vendor, spend twenty and then market it for 140, 150. If there was a registered sale, if you, if you bought it in a traditional way at 100, and then six, seven, eight months later, all of a sudden it's on for 150. If a value goes out and you're like, sold six months ago for 100, and now they want 150, down value, down value it. What do you do an assisted sale, there's no sale at 100,000 pound registered. It just gets brought to the market at 150,000 pounds. Now, assuming that is in keeping with the rest of the properties on the street and within the area the value will just be oh, okay this is reasonable i mean they are a bit nervous at the best of times so what you're trying to do is you're trying to not make them even more nervous and basically start the deals in your in your favor so that's the other reason i like it also sometimes it helps a vendor you know, sell a property that is potentially unsellable. It's unmortgageable because it's run down, dilapidated, you know, it's got certain, you know, certain internal issues whatever. Um, and that's always good. You know, if it's been on the market for a while and it's not selling and it w- you know it would sell if it, if it would only have a, you know, a, a refer, be it cosmetic, structural or, or otherwise. And then you know you're going to be helping the vendor get the sale. You're helping them get, you know, recognize either, you know, the to release the equity in the sale or, you know, give them a percentage of something rather than a hundred percent and nothing. So and it might be that they know this but they can't do it because they don't have the funds or they know this and they can't do it because they don't have the skill set or the contacts or they're just not confident enough or they don't have the time. So you to be able to come in and fill this gap, if you will, and be that missing jigsaw piece is is huge and it's it's a real win win and um, you know there's there's generally three people in the process the mortgage company has to be covered you need to be making sure the vendors getting paid and you also need to make sure that you're getting paid okay so that those for me are the good parts also you know because there's no capital likely you've not got to go through a mortgage application or prostitute yourself to a jv investor to raise funds or pay through the nose for bridging loans etc etc um, and generally speaking they are quite quick so I don't know why but there seems to be some turbo lag on this video I'm going to crack on anyway Don't know why could be because I've got 900 tabs open on my laptop, but I will carry on regardless Okay, so if my lips aren't keeping up with my words, that is why Shit Doesn't matter, I'll carry on All right The good, the bad, the bad You're spending money on a property you don't own Okay um, it's in the vendor's name, and you know we also put some legal contracts in place. Of course, a restriction at the land registry. Of course, just standard practice. Um, a a charge, first charge over the property. If there's no mortgage. You take first charge over the property, or if there's a small mortgage, you could pay the mortgage off. Maybe factor that into the price, so you can take first charge. Sometimes that's beneficial because you get to take first charge if you're not if you're borrowing the money or using a bridge or something like that the money will be more expensive and you can get the lender more security i.e first charge let's say you haven't got anything yourself to put up as security then you get the money cheaper and that can always help so and it can be a huge huge difference that you'll if you know you are out there getting quotes you'll know so you know that that it there is that element of risk but generally speaking if you've done your job properly if you've listened to things I say and you've listened to you know my webinars or you know whatever you will you should be you know position yourself as an absolutely unbelievable middleman and you're, you're, you're doing a fantastic job for the vendor and they're not going to back out the paperwork's in place At the end of the day they just want the money and, you know, as long as the paperwork's right and the option contracts are right and you have, you know, a fee disbursement in with the lawyers, it's all done with the le You know, it's not done in the back, you know, in a car park of a pub, you know, with bags of money exchanging hands. It's done with solicitors, you know, legal conveyancing and, you know, the money will be dispersed according to the, uh, you know, the terms of the contract that you've set out. So in this case, as this example, £150,000 come in, the lawyers will disperse. Let's say they have £80,000 left on the mortgage. I'll send £80,000 to the mortgage company. You'd agreed 100 with them. So the difference between 80 and 100 the £20,000 goes to the vendor. After that, everything else comes to you. Everything over and above the price agreed. The £100,000 comes to you. And Obviously, you've got refurb costs in there. that I think we said was 20, as this is ample. And you've pocketed 30. So happy days. The other thing to consider is you will need to find out if what the vendor's um, capital gains tax bill is. Because if they're they're technically registering a sale in their name at 150, but they've not had the gain, the capital gain of 150, they've only had the capital gain up to 100. If that's the case, post a question before you ask, get them to speak to their accountant, solicitor, whoever it is that knows what the capital gains tax bill is going to be. It might be nothing, but you need to ask the question, open, honest, ethical, and, you know, put that... You know, work that out. If it's whatever it is, it's 30 percent. Just say okay, 30 percent. But you're only paying 30 percent of the, the the gap between the hundred thousand pounds and the and the, the sale price in this case, the hundred and fifty. So you're paying the capital gains on the fifty. You could argue, you could negotiate that you're actually you're not getting the full gain of the fifty because you have to spend twenty. So you could negotiate, say so you're only paying capital gains on the you know the the 50 because if he'd have done this himself he would have had to spend the 20 so there is that argument that's up that's down to you to negotiate and just make sure that you know you got it down so it's again each deal is very individual so that's the the risk i i've never i i'm i think i think there are you know a handful less than you know count on one hand cases out there where assisted sales have gone wrong and the vendor at the end says no I want my money and then there's been a legal battle um, over it but I've personally never come across it and I've done since 2009 2010 I've done a bunch of these I can't even count I can't even count it's a lot it's a lot like so you know I was I was taking on portfolios and breaking them up into chunks you know big portfolio and breaking up the chunks you know it's close to 100 if not more of these I've done over the last as well as actually sourcing singular ones as well along the way Uh, it's over 100 so i've never had anything go wrong i just make sure that everyone understands everyone knows what's going on everyone's going to get paid and i am working my nuts off i'm not just going in and letting the builders do the work i'm on top of every single part of that process i'm on top of the the refurb the project management i'm on top of the you know the the lawyers interacting with the solicitors, making sure the paperwork's in on time. If there's any blockages, if we hit any bottlenecks, I'm on that. You've got to, you've got, you've got to, because the, you know another bad part, ugly part of this. You know, I don't think it's bad or ugly really. Is um, you know I, we always talk about having multiple exits. With this, it's kind of only one exit, which is the sale. Yeah, mm-hmm. the clues in the title. It's an assisted sale. It's not an assisted rent. You know the vendor wants there's money so you've got to get the thing sold so you've got to make sure that you, you check your numbers you double check them and you triple check them then you get someone else to check them yeah so stress test the whole thing leave enough in the deal if your profit or your margin on an assisted sale is 10% that's probably not enough probably not enough and um, your 10% should be, there should be 10% in there for you to do a deal and then your profits on top of that. So you should be able to be able to knock 10% off the deal in my personal opinion, in order for you to make the deal viable. You know, So if you have to do a discount or put a furniture pack in or something, leave enough margin, don't cut your cloth too close, okay? So that's what I'd say. Processes and documents filled, process or documents what you'll need is you'll probably need um, a head to terms first and foremost you'll need um depending on the type of deal a lockout agreement a lease option contract assisted sale contract whichever you want to call it and um, you'll need an rx1 there's also an a n1 form but use an rx1 they both do the same job they just have a slightly different way of operating but an rx1 is fine ch1 is a charge you know solicitors will register these for you and just tell you that's what you want to do um, and you may or may not need power of attorney um, it's a very powerful document and it can, it can be used and I do use it for you know the slightly bigger more complex sales the thing about assisted sale is I'm never looking to get into an assisted sale where I want to keep my money in there just not interested in that there's no way I'm interested in, and whenever I'm doing assisted sale it's to get out so I need to make sure I'm doing everything in my power to stack the Know everything in my favour so I can get the sale done so I can get paid, the vendor can get paid, mortgage companies there, they can get paid. You know, everyone's happy. So yeah. Um financial requirements, minimum, maximum financial requirements. I mean, I'm assuming you I'm assuming our Graham, our Graham is talking about um you know ingoing costs and stuff like that, and margins for me. You know if it was a you know a run-of-the-mill vanilla ten grand can you know cosmetic refurb I'd want to be spent spending 10 getting 20 back so 10 grand profit doing it spending 10 to get five it's all right, It's right five grand but just feels a little bit tight for me that I'd want to be doing I would want to be putting in putting in a pound and getting out to for me personally as you get bigger deals you make, you make a calling on that again it's down to your individual attitude to risk and also you know where your pocket's at if it's your last 10 grand you want to be maximising that probably shouldn't be doing it put it in a post this morning I think we discussed it with our Graham this morning you know uh, if you can't buy it twice you can't afford it so ask yourself that question but you've got a you know attitude to risk like I have you go all in burn the boats so to speak timelines It could be very quick. You know, everyone has to have the ducks in a row, but it's certainly quicker than buying the thing. Um, so, you know, it, it can be, it can take you sort of maybe a week to two weeks to get the paperwork drawn up and then depend on how big the refurb is. You want to get the guys in there doing the refurb ASAP. And then it's a case of actually instructing the sale. I always allow three months of marketing, three months to get the mortgage through. So, you know, if you've got, like maybe nine. You could get it done quicker, but you know, always to hope for the best, plan for the worst. Um, if you've got 10, 10 to 12 weeks worth of refurb, might not be that big. You know, if it's a cosmetic refurb, you have it done in full. Um, you might only need two months to, to market it, um, and you might not need three months to get the mortgage through. But that's what I'd be working towards. I'd be working towards nine months for an assisted sale. Um, sometimes, you know, you, I have got them done much, much, much quicker than that can do trading you can do deal trading that's not what this this question question's about but deal trading can be turned around in three months you can do a couple of them a quarter happy days that's all the national house buying companies doing basic deal trading anyone wants to know about deal trading drop a comment and I'll do um, a full webinar on on deal trading happy to do it and um, minimum max requirements and target returns yeah like I say pound in pound out the whole thing, bank so I think that's covered it there you go I've done 18 minutes on assisted sales and I've got fucking nine more questions to get through so there you go so hope that answered your question Graham. Dave Nichols number 2 hi mate thanks for another wicked post offering to help very kind very welcome we're thinking of changing strategy with a small set of flats we own and running them as SA it's new to us our main concerns are what do we inform the council in terms of counter tax does it need to change the business rate or anything or do we just pay it as is are we obliged to inform the lender or is it case examining the T's and C's do we need a particular insurance product? Sorry, as I said, never touched SA before. The work is just gathering much as we can. Cheers, man. You're a legend. Thanks. Also, Jordan, Karan asked about this, Nicola Chapman, and so did Jackie. I think that's right. Or did they ask about Sister Tales? I might have put this in the wrong way. Either way, they've got to mention Jordan, Ghost Hunter, amazing, Nicola, legend, and our Jackie. So they've shipped uh, in on this, I think they are just shifting in yes me too. I think that was about sister sales or I don't think I'm asking about SA. So what I forgot to put in this bloody post that I did was I've never done SA, don't ask me about SA. But as I didn't do that and Dave has asked, I will try and deliver for you. So what I've done is, because I've never done it, I've called in special teams. I've called on someone who I know and trust with my life to help me answer this question. So... One of the absolute rising stars and legends within Blew Up Property Group is a young girl called Lenka, or Lenks, as she is to her friends. She is a superstar. She is based down in Payton, in Devon. She is trying to get going with SA. She is currently running and managing about, I think, the last count, maybe 25 SA units in Birmingham and talk about a work ethic talk about business acumen talk about someone who uh, personally inspires me you know she's from Slovakia so she's doing this in a second language and she does it all with a smile on her face she does it all with passion with style and she just is a problem solver and I can't speak more highly of her anyone who is thinking about parking any money down in lengths neck of the woods i.e you know devon that way, neck of the woods you could do a lot worse than giving her a call because she would i'll coin my own phrase she would lie down in traffic and she goes above and beyond the call of duty but anyone she comes into contact with so i can't speak more highly about her and she was good enough i, I sent this question to her and she sent me a reply back so the legal basics dave Uh, planning for SA is a grey area so as it stands there's no specific use class covering SA uh, and operating a single let is very different from operating a block like a hotel yeah so I know I think I know in Liverpool Liverpool council said if you're running an SA in Liverpool you need to go to change of use um, and get planning permission basically for it but it's different. But the two use classes you probably want to get used to, just have to check with your local council. The use classes you have to get used to is C3 residential and C1 commercial. Okay, so the majority of council out there are happy uh, with FHL properties being run uh, through as a th- C3 residential class- classification, but it's still something you just need to check, mate. Um, some planning officers believe that use class for SA is C1, uh, and this will mean you just have to go to a certificate of lawful development change. From C three to C one. Um costs a couple of hundred pounds, it'll differ with each council, just check again. Um, yeah, but just do your due diligence there, just speak to the council and you should hopefully get some advice. They may just want you to go into pre-application. I doubt it for a change of use like that, but worth checking. So um but yeah, I think it's a bit it's a bit of a grey area and you know I dare say that there is people out there that are just operating them and just flying under the radar. But you know, I'll let you make your own mind about that. Council tax um, potentially should be on business rates. Um, So once a property is available as SA for 140 days, it should be paying business rates. see 3 types of property in Wales, physically occupied for 70 days. Um, The valuation of an agent. uh, They're part of HMRC, but they work local council. They're responsible for assessing business rates for your property. So yeah, I think you just normally pay the um, the council tax in the normal way, but you may just have to, to deal with the VOA at some point. Uh, so some people say 80% of the property in the UK used as SA correctly assessed for business rates will be paying less than council tax should be. Not for everyone, there's a more expensive race in the UK, such as central London. So, so again, it's worth checking. You know, it, you know, if you're paying council tax, you're thinking, oh, we're making a saving here. Might not be the case if you check. Business rates might be cheaper. So again, speak to your local council. Um, there's also small business rates relief. Uh, business rates are less than £1,200, which most properties are. Then you can get full uh, relief, and then graduate up to £15,000. So that's interesting. That's something else to look at. Then we put it put it on your due diligence. Um, you can also backdate from the date you should be on business rates. Amazing. So worth checking. Um, A lot of the VOA's overestimate how much business rate should be paying. It's based on single beds and double bed spaces. Most of the properties should be paying the same or less than normal council tax. Good. Um, Properties can be purchased in your own name, limited company, business departure, etc. All can get business rate relief. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So insurance. Public liability insurance, this is designated for professionals that interact with customers or members of the public. It protects you against claims of personal injury, property damage, and third party sufferers. Okay. Uh, professional indemnity insurance, okay, offered, often referred to as professional liability insurance or PI. Covers legal costs, expenses incurred in your defence, etc. etc. Uh, damage or the costs that may be awarded, you are alleged to have provided ina- ina- inadequate advice, services or designs that cause your client to lose money simple terms it covers you for any financial loss if you provided an inadequate service to a landlord investor or guest so basically get it and content insurance this is just for it goes without saying you probably know that is this is to protect the assets within the property itself okay and um, Mortgages, common topic that comes up with SA, and in the past most mortgages do prevent the use of short-term holding. However, as the market adjusts, there are now um, lots of different mortgage providers allowing properties to run as SA, applying, you know, responding to the demand. If you're working with a landlord as a mortgage on the property, you'll need to be very clear on how you are operating and ensure the landlord has checked with their mortgage provider. Make sure SA is allowed. This is vital this is vital number one you could lose the deal you could lose the deal because if you operate as an SA and don't tell them and they get fined out and the mortgage company is someone rather sticky they could just repossess the property so not only are you losing your deal more importantly the landlord is getting his property repossessed and that is not good times okay so you want to check on that okay um yeah but again there's probably people out there doing it and not saying anything. Let you make your own decisions up there, mate. I'd be letting them know, okay? So that, I think that's it. That covers most of the questions asked. Thank you again to Lenx. Um, she's in the group. She's in the property Facebook, you know, in our Facebook group, Blue Oak Property. Um, if you have any questions about it, I'm sure she'll be more than happy to um, answer them. And like I say, if anyone needs a testimonial for her, if I haven't given her enough of one already, drop me a line. You know get in touch. i'll be happy to um to give it a glowing glowing testimony all right guys so number three things to think about when working out refurb costs yeah i mean a lot everything really um you need to factor in you know it depends i suppose it depends on on the type of refurb you're doing obviously if it's just a cosmetic is it a buy refurb and flip You know if it's an assisted sale are you covering the the landlord's mortgage payments council tax um you know you want to be going in depth the first viewing you want to try and you want to try and get as much done on the on the first viewing as you possibly can but if you're unsure about things to consider you know i know ross is doing an assisted sale at the moment and it's a you know it's it's an alright, it's a fairly chunky one um he'll be learning a lot from it and Uh, you know, it's one I helped him on, one I advised him on and, you know, absolutely, hallelujah, Team Edwards are away Um, but you want to be going going pretty deep, you know, looking into the um, don't just be looking at the cosmetic the aesthetic um, elements of the property you want to be going much deeper than that and looking into you know, the, what's the switchboard like what's the electric, you know, looking at the boiler, you know everything else does it still have a tank you know you know a a water tank does that need to be removed all these sort of things you know you've got to i I just do worry that some people are just looking at, at the face value and you know what's it cost to decorate a room you really need to be going deeper than that and also you know the the refurb that you're doing you need to give yourself a fighting chance you know Generally speaking, well not generally speaking, it depends, but my, the refurb I do for a rental property is different to the refurb I do for a flip because rental, I don't go, I don't cut corners, but I certainly don't go as all in on the the, the finer details because it's just a rental property. You know, I say it's just a rental property, but number one, you get zero thanks for going, you know, the, 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 the whole hog. On a refurb and um, tenants are just in there they're just renting and they will kick the shit out of the house and you'll have multiple tenants in there over time they're gonna get worn down so you know just do I'm not saying just do the absolute minimum but just think about don't expect to go all you know do full bells and whistles and expect to get you know more rent for the property doesn't always work that way okay so sorry had a bit of a Soar arse there from sitting in the same position for too long, hence my bouncing. So, that's some of the things I'd be considering. Um, Thing to think about when working out refurb costs, um, you know, you need to allow for contingencies, things going wrong. If it's a back to brick, what else are you going to find once you start pulling all the paperwork off? You know, you need to be leaving at least a a 10 to 15% contingency into the costs you know on top it was 40 grand you know budget for 45 48 you know leave that margin in place work your numbers out based on that if it looks like it works with that contingency in place and you've still got a margin yourself say you're good to go yeah but again each deal will be as individual as the person you're trying to buy the property off okay so it's a fairly broad question that hope i answered it ross all right mate Next question comes from Tim Hamlet, my guy. So scaling up on single lets, how best to do it? What metrics does Andy T look for in a single let deal, i.e. three-bed terrace semi, gross yield, ROI, bridge to let, JV Finance, etc. Bog standard, good old vanilla, buy to let, does it still work for you? Can you get these types of deals to stack? Will be good to have some ballpark figures. I'm sure lots of others will be interested to hear the same. Great question. I mean, I built, um, you know, I built my portfolio on this exact model. That's how I got started doing these exact sort of deals. So my model when I got started was just two, three-bed terraces um, in and around Anfield, Old Swan, Walton, um, and over in like Southport, and places like that. And we were picking them up for a song back then, I'm talking like this, is back in 2002, 2003. You know, we were picking them up for sort of around about the 30, 35 mark. We were were searching for them, we were finding them and they were all wrecks, knackered. We were getting them at auction, we were getting them direct to vendor. Some of them were getting sent to us by an agent off market because we had a good reputation or we built up a good reputation and we were picking them up, they were dumps, you know, and but we were turning them around and we were flipping them and you know back on the market for 50 55 and you know making all right money um and we did that now i did that um it was all done well the first the first couple were done with credit cards um and then refurb costs on top um we just we did that and i just would sell one pay off the debt you know bank the profit weren't taking any wages out of it or taking minimum wages out of it we weren't going off and um, you know spunking the money up the wall we were being very strict and it got to the point where we became our own bank didn't take didn't take too long you know making 15 you know 12 I think the average we were making you know we were making between sort of 12 12 to 22,000 pound a deal and uh, we just parked that and in the end we had a you know we built up a little war chest and we were like okay we don't need the credit cards anymore we'll just do it ourselves we've got the credit card and back up um, and we became our own bank and then what we did is we did three um, we'd do three deals and then that would fund the purchase of one and then we'd hold that okay so um, the hold one would be somewhere in the region of you know we'd be finishing the refurb at sort of well whatever we were finishing at sometimes it was 40 45 on the street they were going for you know uh 50 55 depends and the rentals would be you know in the region of sort of 425 maybe up as high as 525 on some of the streets if it was a three bed on a nice area at the right end of the street. you know, so we're getting decent yields. You know, we were yielding at about 8%, like you say. That's probably... 8% for me is the sweet spot. That's what I'd be looking for. That's a really nice yield. Those deals are still out there, by the way. Um, they're not hidden away. They are out there. Um, 7 is acceptable, I would say. I had a couple of 7s in there. Happy, you know, they're still turning over. Still turnover. The thing was, as well, in the right in the right area, that they just let. you know fully let your single lets are fully let they have been for you know the longest tenant I've got is seven years I think she's been in there built the house around her she's still in there Um, and pays market rent I've increased the rent that's one mistake I haven't made good tenant sure good landlord your rent's going up you know I'm not going to be one of those landlords where it's just like when I come to sell it's just who's ever come across a portfolio saying it's a good portfolio they haven't increased the rents. why increase the rents they're a good tenant just increase the rent so they can't afford it then you've got it's business guys I know what you know it's nice to have good tenants but you're running a business and eventually you're probably gonna want to sell that business be it as an individual sale or as a you know um, you know a, a collection or as a, as a portfolio as one or as a limited company and it's just like to have one of the main tripping points of not being able to sell because the income is low because you haven't got off your ass to increase the rents. Come on, come on, guys. Show business, not show friends. So, my two pence worth. Anyway, so, yeah. So, semis. Um, I did I did have a couple of semis. I held, I mean, I've had, I've, yeah, I've, I have had semis. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I've had a couple of semi-detached properties okay for those of you being dirty with your dirty minds in the group can hear Graham laughing his head off yes I've had a couple of semis okay over the years um but I ran all, all the semi-detached properties I had I ran them I converted them into four bed five bed HMOs so I never held them as single let, so I can't really give a true representation of that um Trying to think what they would—they would have been around the, you know, it would have been around the, the 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 six the 600, 650 mark probably for them. But running them as HMOs was uh, was much better, you know. It was up into the the 1250, 1300 pounds a month sort of bracket. Um, so that was sexier for me at the time. So yeah, um, ROI. I mean, 25% is a nice ROI um, if you can get it. You know, it's money back in money back in four years that makes sense to a lot of investors that's that's pretty good mate you know you get a 25% ROI take that bridge to let JV Finance now the thing with the thing with terraced houses certainly in Liverpool is doing your comparables based on a quarter of a mile God even the next street doesn't work always The next street can be a hellhole and the valuations can be quite some streets the top end of the street is worse than the bottom end it's crazy you've got to get to know the street not the quarter mile um, because valuers in my experience won't work it that way they'll just look at the street because it can change so you know you might think about the demographic and how many houses there could be in a quarter of a mile and how different they could be so it's based on the street so you need to get to know that street you need to go a little bit deeper on your due diligence speaking to local agents not for valuation purposes just to get a feel for the street no one really cares what an estate agent thinks a property is worth it's important it gives you a ballpark figure but the only person's opinion that really matters is that of the valuer you know what you and i think the property is worth an estate agent doesn't count for much because when the banks are lending the money to the person you're trying to sell to, they instruct a risk-registered valuer, not an estate agent to value the property, and it's them who decide where the you know, risk level should be in terms of a lend on this property. So get to know the street, mate, not the quarter-mile area. That's just, you need to tighten up, you need to really tighten up on your due diligence when you're doing sort of terraced houses and the like. Semis can be slightly different, but if you know, I'm talking about the rows and rows you know anfield old swan walton everton you know all those sort of um, areas you know the 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 saint helens wigan you know that those sorts of that sort of demographic those sort of streets where it's just tight packed rows of terraced houses that's where i was operating and you've got to be you've got to get to know each individual street you'd be surprised how much the ways you can, can change so um it does still work for me, mate. Absolutely. You know, i built the portfolio based on single lets, then I moved on to HMOs, did some other bigger, you know, commercial semi-detached, uh, semi-commercial stuff. And now I'm back. I've, I've come full circle. So now, if you didn't know, my target for the next 10 years is to buy three to five unencumbered properties a year all vanilla buy lets at about 8% so that is the exact model I'm chasing again so I'm back there so in the next 10 years I want you know 30 to 50 unencumbered properties in my portfolio and they'll probably be over this way this neck of the woods Yorkshire way so yeah it does stack for me Um I've just I've done 10 years of HMOs and yeah done well changed my changed the landscape of my portfolio changed my life but now got that set um, in my portfolio now what my focus is, is just to do that the next 10 years is about legacy the next 10 years is about feeding my family for the next 100 years and that's how I'm going to do it so yeah so it's all very much that for me mate that is my target my goal so yeah um I think I answered everything there buddy um Mr. Wilmot Jed Wilmot please. So I know this one is more suited to a closed group rather than a podcast. That's okay. Love to hear another direct event vendor call. No worries, I'll start doing them again. No problem. I've been so busy with the Mastermind, with Expedition, and just running the lead gen campaigns and stuff. I've not been on the phones um, too much of late. Um, Mainly because of that. Also because I've got, you know, eight-figure... GDV pipeline sat there which I'm trying to close, get to legals get to planning, get to construction so that's been my main focus really Not, um, I've not been desperately focused on getting on the phone but I'll get out there, I'll, I'll create a campaign, I'll get some leads coming in and I'll record because they are very powerful then I'll get them so um, yeah the, the last one I called she was deluded uh, but he did find it massively healthy so yeah I'll record some more cold calls so i love doing it it's good fun um he also asked i'd love to know what the key factors are direct a vendor visit or call determine the strategy you'll look to offer For example lease options, sister tail exchange delay completion etc i mean how to know which path to go down great question so this is this is all in the qualification Generally speaking, I'm always dealing direct to vendor because of the marketing that I do. So people are contacting me saying, hey, I've seen your Facebook ad, or hey, I've seen your bandit board, or hey, I've been referred to from such and such. I've got a property to sell. Would you be interested? Maybe, Mr. Smith. Let's find out a little bit more about you and about the property. And then you go into the deal qualification. So then it's a case of asking him. And certain things that they tell you on this, you know, the, the qualification phone call will be you know flags red flags to either say yeah that works as a vanilla buy to let or that works as a assisted sale or that works as a rent-to-rent just depends and most of it will depend on the vendor okay most nine out of ten vendors will be looking for a sale because they only think there's one way to do it which is to just sell the property for some reason for whatever reason they're not using an estate agent so you need to get into that if they're talking to you and not to an estate agent or let's say it's they're talking to you, but it's on with an estate agent. The chances are they're motivated, so you need to find out what is their motivation, what is, what has made them contact you, a stranger with no high street presence, with no, you know, any of that. What makes them think that you're going to be the guy that's going to solve their problems or girl? Okay, so you need to get into that. So it's a case of doing the qualification process. If you need the qualification. Um, Documents like questions to ask a, uh, a motivated seller. We've got them. I don't know if they're in the if they're in the group. If they're not, let me know and I'll upload them to the group. Okay, I'll get them in there. Um, so yeah, it's it's all in the pre pop qualification. And you need to be like a you need to be a consultant. You need to be you know a ninja. You need to be like a private detective on those calls and you want to be getting all the juicy information doing the qualification take the information off the first call do your due diligence what is it okay it looks like this if it looks like it could be one of several you want to phone them back and say listen i'm interested let me come and have a chat with you don't let them say make me an offer over the phone say we don't do that same reason i don't buy a car without test driving it i need to come and see the property and um, i just need to come and do the viewing same as anyone else would and just get into the conversation so um it's all based on the it's all based on the information they give you and also the type of person they are you know are they able to do an assisted sale did he want to do an assisted sale difficult to explain to them creative strategies and stuff like lease options and rent to rents mm-hmm. generally speaking vendors aren't going to understand them the first time you explain it you're gonna to have to take a, a bit of time with them and uh, not sometimes it can be you know up to five six seven times for you to you know, get the deal closed, of asking them, explain it to them in different ways, of course. You don't want to sound like a robot, just, you know, a broken record, repeating yourself. You need explain it to them in different ways. Show them stuff. Show them your due diligence. Explain why you're offering a lease option or assisted sale and not doing a standard purchase. Explain why it's important and why doing this deal with you is beneficial. And, you know, if, you, if they go to market, they're going to come across these hurdles based on the evidence you're showing them. So tell them why and then show them why. People don't believe what they hear, they believe what they see. So it's important that you show them the evidence, okay? hope that helps. Number six, Helen, how to buy commercial property, the difference between that and Resi, pre-qualifying it, working the numbers, tips and pitfalls, thank you kindly. So for commercial, I mean, yeah, is something I wish I'd done more of over the years, but now we're getting into it, we're getting into some, some big commercial, another goal of mine over the next, you know, Five to ten years is to buy and develop a retail park. So it's something I am educating myself on at the moment. But for the difference between Resi, uh, that and Resi, the difference is is just the the use class. Um, C3 residential, C1 is commercial. Generally speaking, you can get mixed use with like a shop on the bottom and you know residential above. Um, you can get different loans for it. Some would argue that commercial funding is easier to get. It can be slightly more expensive, but it can be easier to get because we focus more on the property itself rather than just on, you know, like the CML does. Uh, you know, how many times you had your you cut in a month and stuff like that. So, but different lenders will want that. Some will want you to have experience and different levels of experience. Some to get a commercial loan, they'll want you to own at least two buy-to-lets. Some of them will accept that you've done some property management and they'll accept that as experience. You'll just have to, you know, speak to a good broker. There's a few that we can recommend for commercial stuff. Um, and, you know, give them, if you've got a property you think that you think works, you know, do you due diligence? Same as you do due diligence on a resi. What sort of tenant would it suit? You know, is it a, is it a fish and chip shop? Is it a... you know, a sunbed shop, a nail salon, you know, is it a warehouse? Is it light industrial? What sort of tenants? Is there a demand for that sort of, you know, that sort of, you know, tenant in the area? You have to do due diligence on that. So, yeah, working out the numbers. Generally speaking, it's done per square foot. So you need to know the square foot of the property. Go and look at what other properties have sold for or valued at. Work out what the, the square footage of that that was and then do a calculation based on the square, the sale of the square footage of other property. So you might have to make some phone calls, do some due diligence that way and say, okay, that one there was 2,000 square foot and it sold for X, R1 is 15,000 square foot. Based on that, that close, cost per square foot is this. This is roughly the value. Based on that, Mr. Seller, I'm gonna want you this. And you know, for the rent, that's how you do it. That's a good way of doing it, all right? tips and pitfalls i mean the right commercial can be amazing generally speaking you're putting a tenant in there who is going to sign an fri lease so fully repairing and insured lease um which means they're going to rent the property off you and they're going to give it back at the end of a longer term so they're not just signing up for six months or 12 months generally speaking they're going in for three four five ten years and they want to stay there if they're running a business they need it to work you know, people doing resi. You know, they just they'll just move around and you know go from place to place. But generally speaking, you know, businesses. They that's how they you know earning their money. They need to stay in business. So they're going to do everything they can to keep sure keep the rent coming in, keep the doors open, keep the money coming in, keep the staff paid, and more importantly, turn over their profit. Um, but yeah, they can. It can be. I don't know. As I say, I've had I've had a, a, quite a bit of experience with them, only with smaller units and. I've never really struggled to rent them. It's generally always someone looking to start a a new business or start a small business. You could market yourself, you know, and go to some small business networking meetings, you know, explain that you've got a unit or a couple of units, you know, be busy. Don't just leave it up to the local agents, but a good commercial agent in the area should be able to advise you on the type of tenant. And they may even have some tenants waiting, work with them. But I would say with commercial, always do a bit of yourself as well. And if you find someone, it's not like doing an AST, you know. It's a slightly more, a slightly different type of contract. Just introduce them to the agent agency. The agent's going to sign you up. Um, they're going to take you through the paperwork. So do a bit of it yourself, okay? Hope that answers your question, Helen. Mister McSherry, hello, Max. How are we, sir? So he said, when being offered portfolios direct with the vendors, how would you approach this? Can you purchase the whole portfolio commercially or would you have to mortgage them individually on a residential mortgage? You do it either way. Um, you're doing it with a comp through a company. You could raise the finance through the company and buy it as one on one loan. There are pitfalls to doing that. You may just want getting individual mortgages, it can be a bit of a nightmare. It depends on how, you know, if the if the portfolios are held in a limited company, can you buy the limited company? I'm assuming if you're getting off portfolios, it's because these portfolios are held in Personal names, and they are getting their legs slapped with Section 24. That's usually why a lot of uh, portfolio owners are getting out of the market at the moment. Um, But yeah, you know, I've done, I've done a couple of portfolios in my time, but they're all, I took them all on as lease options. You know, is that an option that you can do? Can you take them on as a lease option? Generally speaking, no, if it's a Section 24 issue, because if they can't afford to keep it running, how the hell are you going to afford to do it and still? have a margin for yourself so just bear that in mind okay um, again you'd have to the best thing here you know I'm not, I'm not I, I, I've, I've not been a mortgage broker for a long long time um, you know you'd have to speak to a broker set the properties up and just say how do I do this and they'd advise you on that my friend that's the best advice they can give you um, depends on the size of the, the portfolio as well but yeah, if you want to talk more about it drop me a PM we'll jump on the phone my friend so Mr. Marcus Cope another legend in the group our surgeon our surgeon within the group what a guy marcus was at our i got a marcus is a, a legend obviously those of you know me know that i'm going through this um thyroid cancer i've had thyroid cancer surgery um i'm worried now two about two three weeks out of surgery now um actually got my results yesterday from the the 9 centimeter tumor that removed and I've got um, uh, follicular, 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 follicular thyroid cancer so wildly invasive um, Marcus being the, the guy that he is he's constantly checking in on me offering to help offering you know if you need to talk etc etc he's, he's, he's a true gentleman and um yeah Real um, quickly, very quickly, became a friend, and um, he's, he's a pleasure to know and a pleasure to have in the group. So I can't speak more highly about Marcus. Also, doing some very, very, fun some very interesting deals with him and his business partner, who also came over um, for the big one. Came over from I don't know where he'd come from. Did he come over? Was he from? Did he come over from Switzerland or from Italy? Or I can't remember now. I'm very sorry, um, but nevertheless, he came a long way for the up big one. The night of the big one, the serving, the starters. And the waiter just lashed a full tray of drinks all over Marcus. I'm not sure if it was one or not to jug of water over. And it just went all over Marcus, over his shirt, his trousers and everything. And he literally just stood up and he was like, don't worry about it. These things happen. I'm cool. Took himself up to his hotel room, got changed, came back down, back on the party. And he, was just, I, he just said to me, I just feel so bad for the lad that did it because I bet he feels awful. You know, what a guy. What a guy. Okay. So, Marx's question: When negotiating a lease option with a vendor, what do you actually say and call it so they can grasp it without seeming overly complicated? I never say lease option. I explain the concept. So I would say, if it's a lease option, just say, "Look, if you've got to the point where you've, you, you know, it can't be anything else like a, a traditional sale, just say what about if I did this, took over the mortgage payments, so covered your mortgage payments?'" maybe give you a payment over and above the mortgage payment and I take on the financial and financial responsibility of the property and also all the maintenance of the property so you'll never get a phone call again it's not like working with an agent because you would be responsible for the bills in this instance I'd be responsible for all the maintenance I'd cover all the repairs everything you'd have no more voids no more council tax bills I take all that on on the understanding that I get to keep everything any rent over and above your mortgage payment and any payment I agree to give you would you be interested in something like that yeah can we do that yeah we absolutely can what would it look like look how about this why don't I put some paperwork together I'll introduce you to a lawyer let them give you the advice so you know it's not coming from me it's coming from you know a professional um, conveyancer who can walk you through and um, it's basically I'm going to put everything we discussed there into a legal contract send it to a lawyer they'll give you the legal advice I'll cover your legal fees by the way got a lawyer that you can use there to in these types of deals I've done them before um, and let's have, a, let's have a conversation should we put our heads and terms together now etc so I never say lease option at all really um, you just explain it you just explain what it is you're going to do if you like the sound of it they're like yeah it sounds good how do we do it what if answer the questions but well, don't say lease option um, you can say it but don't <laughs> So, yeah, hope that explains it, mate. Andrew Cromwell, thank you, sir. Vanilla Biterlets, how do you determine your own gold mine area? How many fundamentals are you looking at to tick? Do you look at cash flow, capital appreciation or both? Um, do you just look at rental demand? And if, there are, if it's there and the figures stack, that's good enough, thanks in advance, cheers. So, Gold mine area for me, yeah, It's for me, it's, it's always led by cash flow and never, I never invest over the long term for capital appreciation because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, So I would never take on a property to hold it for five years on the premise that it might go up and and hardly take any rental income or, or cash flow. I always invested for cash flow always because I wanted to be able to plan a life around how much money was coming in every month. So that was always very important to me. Uh, it's always for cash flow for me. Cash. Obviously, I'm not going to be overpaying for properties. Sometimes you may pay a premium for a tier one location property or a development site. But generally speaking, you know, I'm doing it for cash flow. And generally speaking, if the cash flow is right, you've probably bought it at the right price and there probably will be some capital appreciation there anyway. But I never I, 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 it's a consideration for me, of course course it is but generally speaking i'm always going for cash flow okay um, the gold mine area yeah i mean that's 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 down to each individual you know i i i knew you know liverpool south put like the back of my hands i knew the the good rental spots i knew uh, where it was popular and you know the type of property and i was always very confident that i was always bringing a quality product to the market always like always always have always do so i knew that i was always going to be able to find tenants for my product so um and you know you could speak to this is where agents are good you know you can come in i would you know you can get you know you can get details off the um off the off the off the internet about you know crime rates and schools and you know local amenities so you can pick a sweet spot you know it's, it's the schools nearby it's the hospitals the links and stuff like that that sort of stuff is very powerful stuff and then you could target that as your gold mine area um, but there's other areas which worked and it. supposed to but for, for, for vanilla by to let you know um you want to be looking at what's in the the area are there any plans for regeneration in the area you know what these these details are out there on the internet and you can go and find all the details And the sun. That should be form the basis of how to find your gold mine area. Not just you know sticking a pin in a map and throwing a dart into the air, just hoping for the best. So yeah, Um, hope that helps. Um, How many fundamentals you looking to tick? For me, you know, I want, I want some, I want some, I want some good cash flow. So as mentioned before, um, I'd want about an eight percent yield on a vanilla buy to let minimum. Um, and yeah, I'd want to know that there is, you know, I always hold if I'm holding something, I'm holding it for the long term. So, and generally speaking, I'm holding everything cash, so there's no debt, so I'm not too worried about that. Or there'll be absolute minimum debt, you know, on the property, and I'll look at I'll be looking to clear that ASAP. So, <coughs> I like to know that there is a an exit strategy down the, down the line I always try and leave enough in the deal as well so I can do a deal with the next person but again because I'm looking at the next 10-15 years you know I'm, I'm, I know that there is going to be some form of capital appreciation not always the case in some areas like in Liverpool you know those those terraced house streets You know, they're, they're never going to go up above much above 55, 60, 65, 70 depending on what street you're on That's, they're not they're probably never gonna be worth 140,000 in 10, 15 years. They might be, but I doubt it. They might just creep up a little bit. Generally speaking, most of those places are tapped out. So, yeah, just bear that in mind. And um, cash flow, I do uh, rental demand in the area, um, and that yeah, the rental demand in the area that's generally good enough for me. And knowing that I'm going to be delivering a, a quality product as well, so that's. Yeah, two main factors for me. Um, number 10, Ian George. If I'm flipping currently, we'll find it difficult to find properties with enough margin, where are all these properties? So, these properties are out there. They are probably not on right move. Probably not. They might be. Can you be asked looking? I can't. So, you need to get direct to vendor. That's where these deals are, my friend. That is where these deals are. You have gotta get obsessed about you, about yourself, about your business, about your product. Every conversation you have should lead to property in the taxi, in the post office, in the barbers. I got my hair cut, my beard cut today. I had four conversations about property, telling people what to do. I want everyone to know. Leads will come from that. Yeah? Um, wherever you are, you're talking about property, you wanna dominate your market. So, sorry for people listening on the podcast. I reached my 60-minute limit. Sorry. So, just you only missed a minute. So, yeah. So, you need to get direct-to-vendor. You need to be doing, you know, just getting in front of the vendor and negotiating these deals. The flips are out there. I know because I'm finding more of them than I can currently do at any one time. And they're all direct-to-vendor. So, you need to work out to get direct-to-vendor. That's it. All right? So... Hope that answers your question, my friend. Work on that. Ian also asked, seriously though, where is all the white dog poop? That's a very good question. I've not seen one for a while. I've got a dog. I've had Archie for five years and never seen a white dog poop. Regular occurrence. I'm only 39. You were saying over 40s only, but I remember white dog poop. Just, uh, disturbing. I did once see a dog poop a red rope on the school field once that that stayed with me it's funny what you remember I don't remember most of my childhood but I remember that so yeah and then we had Amy Sadler my business partners Better Half Daniel Moran Lenka and Dawn all asking why we don't see baby pigeons we don't see baby pigeons squabs I think Mark has answered this in the group as well but I knew this they're called squabs and basically they're ugly as fuck. That's why you don't see them. Um, they are ugly, pink, bald, almost transparent skin, and they're just useless. They just eat regurgitated food from their mother or father. But pigeons are actually very nice. The mother and father both raise the kid. If one of them dies, the other one takes over the um, the, the the raising of the, the of the uh, of the baby, which is quite nice. And then. When they're eventually ready to leave the nest, they leave and they will join up with the nearest gang and they're very territorial, they stick to the patch, you know, if you're in city sense that's it. That's why basically they're ugly and they're bloody useless. That's why you don't see baby pigeons. And that's it. So, guys, that is it. That's probably one of the longest I've ever done. No, it's not, it's a lie. I've done two and a half hours. Lies. Um, but yeah, I hope that was entertaining. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope answers everyone's questions. Anyone's got any questions about any of the content or needs anything, you know where I am. You can either get me, uh, pop, a, not, pop a, a message in the comments here. You can get me at hello at aptpropertygroup.co.uk or go to Blue Oak Property Group in Facebook. If you're not part of the group already, ask to join the group. I'm one of the admins. I will accept you. Um, and there's some amazing content there. constantly doing stuff like that constantly doing webinars lives free training we don't do any selling we don't charge for our event we do charge for our events we don't make profit off our events okay so everything we do we do for free we are looking to disrupt the industry the only thing we charge for as a business is our flagship product which is expedition that is underway that's been going the first one was launched in january january 20th and 21st and that's a 12-month mastermind for 13 people and that is going fantastically well i think I, well i think so it is for it is for me it is for rich and paul and i believe it is for the troop as well so we've got trooper 13 there underway, on the way and they are flying couldn't be prouder than all of them and troop two is getting released in april so we've got another troop of 12 coming at us in April. And then Q3 and Q4, we'll all release two more troops as well. So we'll have four troops going by the end of the year. <gasps> it's going to be busy. It's going to be busy. It's going to be fun. So that's the only thing we charge for. So guys, there is no shiny penny with us. There is no carrots being dangled. There isn't like, oh, if you want to know more about this, why don't you come on a two-day training course for 997? None of that shit. When we do our events, they aren't just evening events they are full day events sometimes they are two-day events we will bang out loads of content no upsell nothing we just want to deliver free content to the masses we believe our content is better than the content that is getting delivered we believe our passion our drive the way we deliver it and the family feel that we have within the blue community is second to none we stand by it we are open honest ethical transparent and we are here to disrupt the industry and we're very proud of it so if you enjoyed this podcast if you enjoyed the youtube video if you're watching for the first time do not hesitate jump in the blue oak uh, facebook group there's a facebook page and the facebook group you want to get in the group that's where all the that's where all the fun goes on that's where all the lives and all the videos and everything else and all the training goes on uh, it is a family that is the common theme running through the group it is a family um i'm in there most days you know doing posts i do a post i do a post every morning at seven o'clock and paul's in there and my business partners paul and rich i can't be i can't speak more highly of them the the way we've put this together you know it's the brainchild of paul um, coupled with rich i was the last man to come in came to it sort of slightly later on but wow talk about three people that are just hitting it off and getting it you know getting on with it we belly laugh every single day And we also, we fight fires every day and we do it together. We back each other up. It's amazing. And I personally, and I know they do too, take my responsibility towards Blue Oak, the whole community, the members of Expedition, everyone incredibly seriously. I am humbled, blessed and blown away by the community we've created. So can't say enough, can't say more about it. That's it. That's the only plug I'm going to do is to ask you to join a free Facebook group with no upsell <gasps> who is this freak i know so that's it guys listen i'm gonna sign off youtube watches thank you for watching win and tonic listeners thank you for listening i think i'm up to i think i'm up to 1500 downloads now of my podcast Woo-hoo! thank you for all the support you're all legends and for all the message i receive thanking me no thank you it wouldn't exist without you otherwise it'd just be me Ranting into my phone, so no. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. I hope this has been useful. This is Winning Tonics, been episode twenty-two. I'm your host, Andrew Thomas. Peace.